HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome, everybody, to the show Life's a Banquet, the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara. Horrible. Starring your hosts, me, Brent Scott, and me, Zara Tanglora. A show about ostrich's wine and dough. <laughs> I'm drunk. <laughs> Always. Life's a banquet, life's a banquet, life's a banquet, banquet. Whoa! Welcome to Life's a Banquet, the show about the highs and lows of all things edible, spreadable, and pourable, an award-winning podcast, number one world podcast worldwide, global entry. That's right, Life's a Banquet. Hey, banqueter. Hey, all-you-can-eaters. Oh, hey. Welcome to the all-you-can-eat buffet of life. Yeah, so that's banquet. right. Now, in the corner, we have Mexican... In the back, there's Italian, mm. and then over here, there's... Uh, a bagels and locks party. That's right. And, of course, back there, there's the Chinese section uh, filled with crab rangoons, which are not... <laughs> which are actually cream cheese rangoons. Okay, moving on away from racism town what? into... Why is that a racist... <laughs> what? I am sorry. Let's not pull this card. What is racist about a crab rangoon? I don't know. I feel like maybe it's crabist. Is that fair to say? Uh, thank you. It it's racist buf- against buffet-ist. crabs. I don't understand anything. It's, it is buffetist. Breton, I was I here for, okay, hold on. Just so everybody knows the backstory from that. When I was growing up, there used to be a restaurant called Ponderosa that would have a buffet, and they changed it to an international buffet, and then each section would be like Mexican. Right. But they of would none of the food was actually from that country. Everything was American. Everything was American. Did they have Swedish meatballs? Yes. They had from that. Ohio. <laughs> they, that was in that, exactly that was in that was in the Mexican <laughs> section. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> what is your favorite part of a buffet line? My favorite part of a buffet line is oh, the I love the vegetable section, and I love the the salad dressing. Ooh, raw sliced mushrooms, Catalina dressing. Catalina dressing, mixing with blue cheese, making Ooh. your own dressing. We're going to do an Italian, blue cheese, French, and uh, mm. ranch vinaigrette. Buckets of Caesar falling uh, from the sky. Right. Croutons. <laughs> <A> raspberry vinaigrette. 
glistening over your. Oh my god! Do you remember? I remember growing up when Costco first became a thing. And my Costco. my mom wasn't a Costco person at all, but um, I remember that we went to Costco only to get their Vidalia onion dressing. Vidalia, that was very oh Vidalia. This is, this is big. Was there anything more popular in the 1990s? Then Vidalia onions. Uh, th- you know, it was a close second to the Walla Walla, the sweet Washington, or Walla Walla onions. Mm. I don't know. I was a gardener growing up, so <laughs> I don't know. I you were a gr- child gardener? I was a child. I was a child gardener. I was a child. It was a forced into slave labor. Jesus Christ. My parents were like, now just step on this giant machine. It's a rototiller, and I'm like four years old, and they're like, just do it. The Vidalia onions are just yeah. f- falling from the sky. Amazing. I used to always go to a Chinese buffet at the mall with my dad. And I remember that uh, I really loved the make your own like stir fry section. I know we didn't have that. Really? No. Oh, it was great. I was like, more shrimp, more shrimp, more shrimp. Too much. Takes them off. Perfect. Mm. (laughs) Bratty little child. Bratty little Long Islander. Like, too much. Never mind. You ruined it. I'm over it. I'm over it. Um, So, Bratton, what's going on? How's your week? My week was good. You know, it's the heart of winter. Uh, can you and not? now we are having apparently in the Midwest they are getting temperatures in the negative twenties and thirties. Uh, you know, if you walk outside, you'll pretty much die on yeah on contact. Sub Santa, exactly. Unless you practice the Wim Hof method, then apparently you can run a marathon. Oh, can you tell us what that is, please? The Wim Hof method. If those of you, ha- if you're not familiar, it's a deep breathing method that's probably taken from some ancient cultures uh, and translated into. Uh, northern european buffet cu- buffet yeah. into buffet culture yeah, they're like this is from that <laughs> so anyway you deep breathe you do all these techniques and you're supposed to be able to control your body's temperature you can resist poisons all kinds of things i have sort of dabbled i dabble i've seen you dabble and it's I've, unbelievable i dabble it's unmissable really uh, i dabble but um dabble i dabble and i microdose oh yeah but, you've <gasps> been micro Oh my god, Mike. Okay, so I'm on week two. I'm doing the Paul. I'm calling this the Paul Stamets triple stack. You take some illegal uh, hallucinogenic psilocybin mushroom uh, that you could get put into jail for, uh, unless, <laughs> unless of course you're a middle aged gay white man, then you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you can blog about it and write and talk about it in your podcast. So you take some psilocybin mushrooms, which have been grown, which are from Mother Nature, and, and then you mix them with some. Uh, lion's mane mushroom, and now you know these are the nootropics. So you're and some niacin. Mm. So you take a niacin pill, and it makes you have a niacin flush. It makes you feel like you're burning. That on sounds fire. amazing. Your face turns red. Oh, you look like you just got out of the sun for four hours, <laughs> and you're not supposed to feel the hallucinogenics. You don't know. I haven't felt anything. You take a very very tiny tiny amount. Hence the name micro. Micro exactly. So you're supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to become smarter. You know, you do look smarter. I do feel a little smarter. Watch. You are doing that Watch. top of your head scratch thing yeah. very high up. Yeah. I have a lot of deep thoughts that are, I can't describe because I'm too smart now for my words. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm on week two. You're supposed to go five days on, three days off. So I'm on my off period right now. So if I seem a little glum and kind of stupid, it's because, mm. you know, you're supposed to do this for a, a couple months. Okay. I'll let you know what happens. You'll see Please as the do. podcast progresses, I'll become a... Uh, Every week, I'll just get smarter and smarter, and yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, but yeah, no, no, no. Go ahead. I'm Sorry, interested. when you have a smart brain, it goes a little I know, faster. I know, goes really than, fast. Yeah. I'm interested in microdosing, um, but the last time that I took mushrooms, I had 
like the only bad trip of my entire well, life. Well, you don't you're not taking them to hallucinate. So it's a completely to, different experience. Absolutely, but my mouth. My body is telling me yes, but my mouth what is do you mean? Your telling bo- me no. I don't know what Sorry that I just <laughs> R. Kelly, I know it's really passe, but I couldn't help myself. Well What else s- happened this week? That's it. You had a birthday. I did. You entered your uh, I'm 400. Yeah, we won't talk about how old you are because it's an embarrassing number. It is. I'm 35, and I'm proud. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't be proud. I'm here. You're queer. I'm used to it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're 35, and I'm not used to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I had a really lovely birthday. You guys threw me a surprise party in my own apartment, which I did know about beforehand and had to pretend not I to. I know be. you knew about it, and it, that's why I didn't show up. I did not show up for your surprise because I because I knew you knew. I was like, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to stress out to get there early. Right. Okay. For those of you that know, Zara has a mom named Bobby. Hi, Bobby. You're listening. Hey, Bobby. And Bobby's Bobby's pocket pies fame. So Zara had a surprise birthday party two years ago. I just didn't think it was fair to do it again. And Bobby's like, let's make it a surprise. I said, she just had one two years ago. That's that's too many in two years. I did feel like it was a little bit of overkill. It was overkill. It was really nice. I'm totally kidding. And I thought, okay, well... You know, just happened the year before. So <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to take any part of this. But uh, it it was still fun. I did surprise you by showing up later than the Well, fact. when I first walked in, I was like, where's Breton? That was the first thing I said. Everyone's like, surprise, he doesn't like you anymore. Um, and then I came. But like, yay. Do you know how I really knew that I the dead giveaway was? I was like, Breton, what should we do for my birthday? I don't really know if I should do anything this year. And you're like, yeah, you shouldn't. You should just stay home alone this year, which I was... <laughs> Callous, even for you. I was like, uh oh, there's a surprise party. I see you called. (laughs) I was like, you're getting older. You should think about what you want to do for the future because it's dwindling as we speak. (laughs) But it was really nice. We had pizza from Lucali. There was a fudgy the whale cake, which was so much smaller and thinner than I remember it as a child. Well, everything's larger when you're a child. Of course, but this water slides, (laughs) slip and slides, monsters, monsters, serial killers. Yeah. Um, no, but it was it was a delicious fudge of the whale. There was a carrot cake. Bobby made her famous Bobby's chopped salad. Mm-hmm. There was uh, spinach and artichoke dip. Vans, gluten-free cheese crackers. The c- Negronis flowed like wine. That's right. There were Negronis everywhere. You know, I was thinking about an, a thing, things that I want to cook. So I, I did make a poached pear. Poached? Red wine poached pear tatan. Oh. Say that five times. Red wine poached pear tatan. Red uh, wine Nah. I it was really really delicious, and I ate half of it, but I don't remember in because, one sitting. Yeah, I was drunk. Okay, that's fine. But I it wasn't that drunk. That's the weird thing. So I woke up and I thought, oh gosh, I should put that in the freezer so I can, you know, I'll pull it out sometime at a party. Mm-hmm. And I went to my countertop and there it was, half gone. Uh oh. And I said, Preston, Preston, what, what happened to the tart? <laughs> he said, you ate it. You ate half of it. So it was delicious. <laughs> sometimes I feel like, you know, you're an amazing person where no one's perfect. Sometimes I feel like you don't pay attention a little bit when I, I'm talking, but now I'm realizing you don't pay attention to yourself either. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, don't worry. It's not, it's, it's, it's just you the way pay I, atten- you're like eating an entire tartan. Well, I must've been very, you know what? I was so present. I was so present with my new microdosing, improved nootropics. And I'm so smart that I just was, fully immersed in the experience yeah. that it became so visceral that it became a feeling rather than a memory. And that really is when you know you've when gone you beat it. Maybe you got drunk on the red wine pears. Just putting that out That's there. That's true. I never thought about that. 
I would love a bite. If there's still any left, just putting that out I'll there. I'll put it back in the freezer. What is your favorite thing to munch when you're drunk, Breton? Uh, my favorite thing to munch when I am drunk probably is potato chips. What would be like, is there another second favorite potato item that you just love eating mm, when you're drunk? A very good potato item. The next thing I think would be French fries. Oh, really? That's so interesting that you say that. Why? Um, Because that's what this week's topic is about. French fries? French fries. Freedom fries, waffle fries, curly fries, shoestring fries, other kinds of fries. I'm under the weather today. My brain's not working at full capacity. Here, try some of this. <laughs> try try my Paul Stamets triple stack. <laughs> it's a little bit... <laughs> well, I'm... Listen, if you think that's crazy, I'm have, I have a private meeting with the owner of Radical Herb Shop oh, about my experience. Me. So let's You do? Just, yeah. This is opening up to all kinds of possibilities. It is. That's true. Apparently, I'm moving to Tulum as well. Oh, no. That's just happened. Tulum with, is over. I'm, I know. I'm I, not. Don't go. So let's talk about potatoes. Okay. Since we were talking about French fries, mm-hmm. should we just get right into this? I don't see why the hell not. Gosh, That's okay. what everyone's here for. Uh, so potatoes. Now, the funny thing about potatoes is that they have a very fascinating history. Okay. Uh, and they we think of them as this the staple of Ireland and, and Northern Europe and famine. And, yeah. Famine and Italy. Really the potato wasn't introduced until, uh, I mean, it really wasn't popular until the late 1700s in terms really? of food. And it was actually, it was called such names as the devil's apple. <gasps> the potato was considered <laughs> a poisonous food. Okay. But if you are thinking it's an apple and then you bite into it, I can see how someone would call it the devil's apple. Cause it would be like the worst fucking apple that you could ever have in the word in the Dutch word for potato is uh, art apple, which uh-huh. means earth apple. Okay. So this isn't, these aren't the first people that have just confused apples. Uh, now keep in mind, there was different colors. There's a red skin potato. There's a purple skin potato. There's a white skin potato. There's yellow skin potatoes, yeah. brown skin potatoes. There's a lot of skins. They're all clearly not apples though. Mm-hmm. And they were all reserved for, for, for chilies, our happy hour <laughs> potato skins, tater skins stuffed with massive gooey tater skins with sour loaded. Now tater skins are good. So the potato the is, uh, it was a very interesting history. Now, where do the French fries come? You know, where does this come in? Well, potatoes, uh, there's a man called Parmentier. Now he was mm. a French pharmacist. Um, and he was actually a prisoner during the seven year war taken in by the Prussians, and he was forced to eat potatoes during his imprisonment. Now, uh, after the war had been, and I'm assuming this is seven years later, uh, he comes out and he's like, listen, you guys, Europeans, come on. I know these potatoes came from that crazy land in South America, somewhere, you know, like Peru and Bolivia. This Mm -hmm. is where they were supposedly coming from, Colombia. But he says, these are really, really good for you. And everyone's like, no, no, devil's apple, you disgusting. Get this away from me. And so apple, he I works, can't. he's just working so hard. He's like, listen, these potatoes, you guys, I'm telling you, they're really, they're going to be a hit. They're going to be a hit. <laughs> and this Parmentier. So he's going up and he's just like, I'm going to convince the world. So finally a famine happens. A famine happens. Nothing to do with potatoes. Not the potato famine. A French famine. Oh, a, fr- a French famine? Now, no baguettes? Then, so then he goes on and he finally, they're like, well, the potatoes are here. These aren't, these are working. And so suddenly people, because there's a famine, they're, you know, oh my gosh, we have to eat these potatoes. And lo and behold, they did not die. They became healthy, became a sustainable food source. 
and it became the official food of the French Revolution. The angel's apples. The an- we've yeah, a devil's apple to angel's apple. Mm-hmm. So now then, of course, all kind. Of, you know what Parmentier also did? What he also made smallpox a mandatory vaccination, and he also invented shepherd's pie. This what guy's the like, hell can't this guy do? Yeah, yeah. He had a. Uh, he- that's why we're eating potato chips and french fries because of this guy. Oh well, my God. maybe it would happen. Okay, so it wasn't really until like later in the 1700s, and then they became, you know, f- apparently maybe the Belgian invented the French fry. Mm. Right? You know, the French or the Belgian, mm-hmm. who knows? They maybe say the, the Belgian. That's what I You heard. know, they said they were used to fry fish, uh, and then maybe potatoes were there and they just thought oh we'll just throw that into the deep fryer why not yeah and lo and behold fish and chips evolves and everybody decides and then perhaps during one of these wars the french soldiers were on the belgian soldiers and they're like hey dude like want to suck on my fry and they're (laughs) in the bunker and they're like dip my fry in some mayo wink wink let me put my small fry in your big mac and they're like (laughs) yeah and (laughs) you are on one today yeah so the apparently you know i'm sure the french are like We invented the French fry. Um, so, but they don't call them French fries. No. Well, you know, this was an interesting history. In 1802, Thomas Jefferson. Love that guy. Remember? Class, oh, class, real. Yeah. Real peach. Real peach. Uh, he decides that he is a French chef. He's like, I must serve these French-style potatoes. And then that was, might have been a, when we just started using the word French fries. Because the French right. called them frites. Oh, yes. As obvious as that was. It was a fried item. Yeah. So if that's not such a convoluted history, I don't know what could be. <laughs> uh, and now, of course, I don't know. Where do we go from here? Like, what, what do we talk about? I think we should just stop talking. I think we've covered it. Mm-hmm. That's so it. So basically what anyway. you can... <laughs> who cares? French fries are delicious. Yeah, they're they great. They are incredible. Go it became, them in your it's mouth. It's the world's most popular food. Now, hold on. Hold on. CNN comes out a couple years ago, which came for an article from The Salt from NPR in, like, the year 2002... And there apparently is something really, really terrible. Uh, and there is a bad chemical when you fry potatoes. Oh, really? Yeah. And it is a... Uh, You're in trouble then. acrylamide. Ugh, disgusting. Apparently, when you cook potatoes at high temperatures, it, it releases this chemical. Oh, my gosh. And it's cancer-causing. <gasps> now, it's been in discrepancy for years, so everybody that eats potato chips, French fries on the rise. What isn't cancer-causing, yeah, though? You know. And... That's that, you know? How? Breton, how many times do you think you've eaten fries? How many sticks of french fries, individual fries, have you eaten in your life? Uh, if I average, let's see, 32 fries per order times 15. Uh, I would say 443,768 french fries I've eaten. Oh my God. In my life, yeah. It's incredibly I specific. Did, yeah. See that? See what happens when you microdose? Yeah. Hot. <laughs> well, I have a story today. I love stories about French fries, um, and I'm kind. Of, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about how once French fries became popular in America, then all of a sudden people started trying to freeze them. Um, well, yeah, was, they were. There was a huge frozen food boom that happened in kind of the middle of the mid 1900s, around like the 1940s and 1950s. Obviously, post war, people were trying to think about. You know, we all know this story. TV get your dinners, chest, get your chest freezer, stuff it full. Yes. And then, in the case of another Great Depression or apocalypse, you are you're going to have like your strawberry freezer jam for the next thirteen years. Exactly. Also, like women were beginning to go off to work more. There was all different reasons why people were becoming uh, le- doing less home cooking and using more frozen foods. That's right. <clears throat> so, 
In the 1940s, the Simplot Company uh, began successfully commercializing French fries, and then they, in the 1960s, sold them to Ray Kroc, who was the, you know, we all know the story. Well, maybe some people don't, right, but we don't have time for it, but Ray Kroc, uh, who was the person who took over the McDonald's Brothers business and kind of franchise that made it popular. Uh, so Simplot supplied all the frozen fries uh, and replacing fresh cut fries to McDonald's. At this point... That was a big move, yeah. It was a big move, and it kind of set things off for the need for more frozen fries. At this point in history, I just want to put this out there. Uh, in today's in today's money, the average American eats 29 pounds of French fries per year. And do you think we're above average? Well, we're the... Yeah, I don't know, but that just seems like so many French fries. That is a lot of... If you weighed all that, that would be the, the size of my left thigh. I know. It's yeah. crazy. I don't know. That's just like that number really shocked me. Um, shocked. So twenty. Uh, anyway, so some of the first people who got into the frozen fry making business, there was Birdseye. The actual guy's last name was Birdseye of the Birdseye mm-hmm. Frozen Food Company. Classic. They had the biggest hold on everything frozen. But then the Grigg brothers, F. Neefy Grigg and Golden Grigg. Have you ever heard a name like Golden as a first name? Mm, yes, I have. Isn't that crazy? They yeah. were Mormon. Yeah. Well, you know, they were probably named after Joseph's most famous golden glasses that he was able to read the the golden the golden temp you know, the oh yes of course yes the golden tablets <laughs> I don't know where the about Book of religion. Mormon was written and they've never found it since. Okay, I don't know anything about religion anyway, of any kind well, except for the food the food things that surround it. I know about latkes. I know blintzes. Well, Golden's a great name. I, I think. know Pizza Rustica, but yes, Golden is an amazing name. So they were two brothers and Nefi was kind of the, the, the leader of the two and they were determined to, the yeah. <laughs> they were determined to start like a business. So they lived in Oregon. It was on the border of Ohio. And so they started a company called Orida. Um, so Nefi, who was, as I said, the leader, he was like a high school dropout and, classic Just, yeah you know but he also had a an, a an entrepreneurial spirit so he was driven to do something they bought this old they put all their like life savings um into buying this old bankrupt frozen yes. plant and they started doing frozen french fries and, fro- and frozen corn so the year that they did this was 1951 all right time right place in the year 1951 just for context the average cost of a new house was nine thousand mm-hmm. dollars a loaf of bread was 16 cents classic i love lucy premiered and nat king cole's too young was the number one song on the radio that wow. whole year long all along. Picture it. Fro- picture it. Frozen corn <laughs> falling everywhere. <laughs> Frozen corn lined the streets. Um, we used to have a restaurant called The Ground Round in my town. I yeah, don't The know Ground if- Round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember? And they would have like peanut shells on the floor. Of course, yes. Okay. Just that's what it reminded me of, except I, I pictured it with corn. <laughs> also, another sidebar, I went out for ramen last night because I'm not feeling well and I haven't eaten ramen in so long. Mm-hmm. And we were just chatting about how like, I don't know, this is a bold and very ignorant statement, but how ramen is like just not my favorite and I kind of feel it's a bit, I don't know. I'm just like, meh, ramen. Yeah. But what I dislike about it the most, yes. and I'm sure this we're is... We're all listening. Do you want me to t- stop talking about this or something? No, we're all oh. listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the thing I didn't like about it the most was that it had frozen corn in it. And a lot of ramen you find, at least in New York City, has frozen corn Fill- in it. It's filler. And I was like, get this corn out of my soup. It was disgusting. Corn and, get, get Frozen corn and frozen potatoes out of this soup. Get it out of there. Um, anyway, so they started this company, and it was called Orida. And Orida started by making frozen corn and frozen French fries. And when they would make the French fries through the extruder that they used, it would have a lot of scraps. So they started selling the scraps off, actually just giving them away because they couldn't charge any money for it to make 
dog food and stuff like that. But exactly. Um, but then this guy Nefi and his brother Golden decided. Hold on a second. Hold on. They're <laughs> like, wait a minute. We're throwing these, giving these scraps to the dogs. We need to do something better with this. So they put them. They mix them with some spices and a lot of hydrogenated oils, <laughs> yeah. and they mash them up and put them through an ex- another kind of extruder. And then was born the tater tot. Ah. Uh. The tater tots. Without French fries, there never would have been a tater tot. Those delicious little tots. So this year, the year was 1953. So it's about two years after they started their plant with frozen French fries, they developed this. So there's a big potato farmer conference, which I have to say sounds like the most boring place on earth. A conference of no, potato farmers. Really inter- unless you're into potatoes. Yeah, unless you, unless you're deeply into the devil's apple, and they're all just doing like devil, devilish apple things. Maybe it's the most exciting place on earth. Um, but anyway, so there was a giant uh, conference at the Fontana Blue. Is that how you pronounce that? Fontana Blue? Fontana Blue, yes. Fontana Blue uh, Hotel in Miami. And the Grigg brothers convinced the chef who's catering the thing. To, they bring 15 pounds. I don't know how they kept them frozen, but they bought 15 pounds of... With ice blocks. Bootleg. Yeah, this it must have come... Go, go back to our ice, <laughs> our ice episode in number right. two and find out about that. They yeah. must have... Uh, brought it down like via ship the whole thing cost over a million dollars now but it was just 15 pounds of tater tots they brought them in they tricked the chef or bribed him or something to serve them and then they served them potato conference and people gobbled them up and the rest is basically kind of potato history wow yeah um so they garnered 25 percent of the frozen potato market during the 1950s because solely because of tater tots people were not really getting their fries so much they're just buying tater tots tater tots were really popular they became extremely popular in school lunches so now they're like mass producing them like crazy um they started having oh, i recall serious yes. issues because of their mormonism um it's you know in my research it says that because of the mormonism they were uh, a little bit more keen to nepotism so they were hiring like of only course. family members and it started getting out of their hands so they ended up selling it in 1965 to Heinz for 30 million dollars smart yeah and now or, and now Orida has 46% of the frozen potato market you know one of the famous dishes from Mormon Utah is they're called Mormon funeral potatoes oh you told and, me that yeah they're they're the hash browns with mixed with something. I've never made them. Do but they make them with tater tots? Everything. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing. Oh, frozen bag of tots. A frozen bag so, of tots, and then yeah. what else goes on them? I don't remember cheese or something or bechamel. I don't know. Yeah. I never made them. Yeah, I thought I was above it, but I, I mean, it sounds. Good. I've learned that I'm not above anything. That sounds amazing. So before this guy Nefi Grig died in the year 1995, he put out a manifesto of his just thoughts and feelings about everything from tater tots to religion to golfing, um, and he claimed that he thinks potatoes are worth more than gold. He was obsessed with potatoes, and he was obsessed with French fries. Um, now, also like a lot of people try to make things from scratch, right? Mm. There's a couple things which I don't think can be made from scratch well that I've ever had. Tater tots. Tater tots is one of yep. them and ketchup is the other thing. Yeah. I've never had good homemade ketchup. And I've had good homemade ketchup that tastes good, but not as ketchup. It's like, oh, this is a good sauce. A good sauce. Exactly. And the same goes for tater tots. Now, I think Bon Appetit put out a recipe for tater tots with like almond flour and like quinoa or something a couple years ago. I'm not sure. I must have passed it up. Yeah. But 
in all the research that I was doing, chefs everywhere are like, why would you make your own tater tots? There's nothing better than an Oriata tater tot. I think, yeah, you really need that giant extruder to give it that special texture. Right, exactly. One more thing I want to mention about tater tots that I oh, think wait, is really interesting. <laughs> oh, wait, there's one more thing. Um, so, anybody remember a little guy named Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber? Oh, yeah. Cool. Okay. Ted Kaczynski, in his manifesto, wrote, uh, obviously, he was very anti-government. Wait, very, so he also had a manifesto? Well, he had a huge manifesto. These two separate manifestos. Where, where's my ma- I should be working well, on my own manifesto. I, I'm surprised you don't have a manifesto. You do have so many interesting kind of fringe beliefs. I like it. You I need meant- to start working on it. Oh, maybe the microdosing will help. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> Matt, it's time for you to write a manifesto. 2019. 2019. Manifesto. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah. Start manifesto. Note to Released self. Released April 2021 on Amazon.com. <laughs> Pre-order now. What would your manifesto be called? I can't think of this right now. Okay. Um, mine would be, as I've said before, I'm sorry for what I said when I was cooking. Ah, uh, yes. A manifesto. Um, anyway, so Ted Kaczynski, anti-technology, anti you know, everything like that. But, and he was a guy who was claiming to live off the land. You know, he's only fishing. He's only doing stuff that doesn't require big production. And, uh, but found in his trailer after he had been captured was box of tater tots, which goes completely against everything he believed in proving that tater tots are so delicious that even Ted Kaczynski cannot stay away. That is crazy. You know, you said earlier, you said who would be that crazed about potatoes and actually, this is really interesting. There's in the in Europe. Okay, so Europe likes these, the kind of the Yukon Gold, the white potatoes. They like a waxier substance when they have their, aka chips. Okay. Uh, or French fries. Whereas Americans, we like our Idaho russets. They're a little bit fluffier, like drier. Drier, yeah. yeah. So it's just a different type of texture. But the famous potato. Uh, in the UK is called the Marini Piper potato. Now, that if you get a good fish and chips... A Marini Piper? Marie, Marie Piper. A Marie, Marie Piper. Marie Piper. Ask Heston Blumenthal. It's his favorite. Oh. And so basically, uh, the Marie Piper potato was uh, formulated by this man named John Clark in 1963. And he was a kid, and he was wanted to be a farmer, and he never had any formal education. He just started breeding potatoes as a kid. That's when you know you're, you were saying who would be that interested in potatoes. John Clark from Northern right. Ireland did. And he. <laughs> Sounds like a real serial killer. Yeah, yeah. And he, 1963, comes up with this potato that became a, incredibly popular in Europe and especially in Ireland and the UK. Wow. Uh, and the closest that you really can get in the United States, they don't really sell them here that much, uh, is a Kennebec. Kennebec? Never heard of uh, it. Yeah, the, you can get it at the Union Square Farmers Market. We can talk about that later. Uh, but it's kind of like a white white fleshed potato that again Ooh. is a little bit more waxy and i did i did experiment with some this weekend i love a waxy potato but to go back to this gentleman's potato yes. breeding it's one of, you know when they say i'm i'm in deep serial killer mode because i've been sick and in my house watching i told brent earlier i've watched the ted bundy four-part series i watched american psycho i watched hannibal and silence of the lambs i watched snow white <laughs> and martha stewart's com- complete spring collection i just got on a, I, I need to get off it i'm glad to be out of the house after two days let in. me make you a nice playlist on youtube <laughs> <laughs> but i was yes please mm-hmm. but um i was also watching my friend Dahmer, and it explores jeffrey Dahmer before he became a serial killer and what led up to it and one of the first signs is violence towards animals and in hearing the guy being a potato breeder that would make me nervous i would think one of the first signs would be um breeding vegetables as the first sign of being a serial killer and on that note should we take a commercial break let's take a quick break
This episode is brought to you by Cart Driver, Denver's home for wood-fired pizzas, fresh oysters, seasonal market plates, cocktails, and conversation. Tucked in a 640-square-foot shipping container space in the heart of Denver's Rhino neighborhood, Cart Driver is the perfect place to stop in for an Italian-style spritz, Prosecco on tap, and a wide variety of tinned fish. Open for lunch, dinner, community hour, and late night seven days a week, Cart Driver is here for you with fresh, domestically sourced ingredients, and above all, hospitality. Learn more at cart-driver.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Coral Lee, and I'm the host of Meant to be Eaten here on HRN. Every week, I look at cross-cultural exchange in food and contemporary media. What determines authenticity? What, if anything, gets lost in translation when cooking foods from another's culture? You can find Meant to be Eaten wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. Oh, hey. We're talking about French fries here at Life's a Bank with the podcast. And listen, we are here to tell you. Now, we're going to move forward. Let's just do it. Let's, Let's just talk, roll okay, on through. So first of all, I wanted to tell you a couple things about making French fries. Is this our chef recommends? This is our chef recommends. Now, okay. Um, I've experimented with a lot. I used to own a restaurant. I thought I made some really fabulous, wonderful French fries. I think that you make the best French fries. And I'm not saying this uh, to just get you to be my best, best friend. You make the best French fries I've ever had. So, no, I don't want to come across as tooting my own tutor. Toot it. Um, but I have been obsessed with French fries as a, a chunky little uh, <laughs> nine-year-old that I was. Little gay boy running around being like, French I fries. love French fries. I love French fries. <laughs> anyway, but when I, you know, so in Chicago, New York, I, I was obsessed. I wrote a French fry article that was lost on my, remember before we had iCloud and when you would actually lose documents much yeah. like Carrie Bradshaw did in Sex and City it happened to me but I wrote this great article in the year 2007 oh my god yeah but and back when a restaurant owned by a man named Cesare Casella which was called Beppe and they had these Tuscan fries he's the guy that always he's the chef that wears the rosemary in his pocket oh that's you know. so hokey it, well you know what he's been doing it for years it's a class it's an in, he's an institution I now. love it um he put he makes these herb french fries which are big chunks of potatoes I think he uses Yukon Gold's and he throws tons of garlic and Ugh. and sage and rosemary thyme and has this wonderful throws it right in the fryer, right yeah. in the fryer. Okay, so there are now. Let me tell you really quickly the main methods of making. Have you ever had a flabby fry? And you know what? Before 1990, McDonald's was frying all of their French fries in beef, a mixture of beef tallow. Really? And until there was a man that died of a heart attack, shockingly, from eating too many French fries, uh, he sued McDonald's, and that was why after 1990, they started using vegetable oil, and they're oh just gosh. not as good as they ever used to be. It's true. McDonald's used to have great fries. There's uh, nothing worse so than a soggy fry. Now, the British will sometimes do a thrice-cooked fry, or triple-cooked, in which they'll boil it first, then fry it at a lower temperature second, and then finally finish the product after being chilled several times at a higher temperature to give it the final crispness. I prefer the double fry method. I just think it's too much to add that first boiling mm -hmm. thing. Depending on the potato, it might not be necessary. And then there's this really interesting thing about those of you that want to try making French fries at home, but don't want the hassle, don't want the mess of a deep fryer, the double fry confused, and you're worried about you're going to do something. There's something called a 
hold fry method. Whoa. Now, this was featured from Fine Cooking Magazine's Movable Feast. My friend and uh, boss, Nora Singley, fabulous uh food stylist. Friend of the show. She mentioned to me about this cold fry method where you take cold oil, you put some potatoes in it, and you turn on the stove for about 17 to 25 minutes. Patricia Wells cold fry method, and it apparently yields some delicious wonderful fries. Now, I did not have time to do it today because... Are there french fries in your backpack or I just thought it would be useless to to bring french fries it would be disgusting an hour on the train so uh so those are three methods now uh you can again google and look up heston blumenthal's method and that's the thrice cooked fries again basically if you do the the second cooked method or the 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 double fry method yeah you get your potatoes you leave the skins on or off and you fry them at around 250 260 degrees for about five minutes I like to fridge mine overnight. Something about the chilling process mm-hmm. does something. I can't explain it. Uh, any food scientist, please call in. and Call me. Uh, yeah, call us. Let's talk about it. Uh, let's go for a cocktail. And uh, so that's a... But what that yields is that wonderful, crisp French fry. I mean... With a fluffy interior. Isn't that what we all want? I feel like it's a metaphor for life in general. Yeah, yeah like we want a crispy... A really solid exterior, mm-hmm. something that can protect you and house you and keep you warm, but then the inside is fluffy and, and soft, kind, yes. and everything is dipped in ketchup yeah. and then eaten and Or digested. mayonnaise. <laughs> well, um, okay. I want to uh, recommend a couple of, on my section, Ah, Chef yeah, Chef, Chef Recommends. recommends. Go ahead. A, a couple of... We'll <laughs> Um, I'm going to recommend my perfect recipe for a French fry milkshake. Just oh. kidding. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to try to say something <laughs> funny, even though I'm on a lot of cold medicine and I haven't left my house in two days. I'm bombing, but I'm going straight forward. Anyway. Well, you know, bomb away, kids. Make it a nuclear bomb. Um, okay, like so that. my no, don't do that. So my chef recommends today is going to be about things that you should dip French fries in. Now, now, hold on a second. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. don't no. go there. No. Mayonnaise, obviously, is the number one choice. Are you a mayonnaise person or a ketchup person? I know that there are some mayonnaise people out there. Uh, no mayonnaise people out there, rather. Should I say? Not going to name names, but you know who you are. I still like you, but you don't like mayonnaise on your French fry. I don't know. We might when have to Zara throw down. When Zara and I walk in to your restaurant in your town, you don't ask us. You better. You, just, you bring out three sides of mayonnaise. You better squirt us in the face with yeah. mayonnaise. And no, don't be bringing us some Miracle Whip. That ain't, uh, ma- that ain't mayonnaise. I also, no, I mean, I don't even know what Miracle Whip is. Obviously, ketchup, Heinz ketchup, duh, um, swirled together. But my favorite dunk for a French fry. Oh, here we go. Zara's little twist. Yeah, Zara's little twist. I really like malt vinegar. I mean, who doesn't? That's it's all over the UK and all over the. Malt just, vinegar is delicious. Also, Vidali onion dressing from Costco. <laughs> to bring in full circle to the beginning. Tartar sauce. Ooh, tartar sauce. What about a French fry like dipped in a in a bisque? Like you go to get a seafood lunch and then you just accidentally yeah. oh a French fry fell well, in my clam chowder. When I was a kid, I used to dip my French fries in a milkshake. When I was a kid. So that was why the French fry milkshake. No, that's delicious. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to live with my grandparents, and we used to have trash food in the house. We were all very poor. And I would go into the fridge, and I would eat raw hot dogs dipped in barbecue sauce. Mm -hmm. And and I'm still single. Um, Anybody (laughs) out there looking for a new girlfriend, call me. And that is why you're divorced. (laughs) (laughs) And that you're a therapist, and you have been, you have a long journey ahead of you. (laughs) 
Oh, Lord. Okay. What should we do? Top three? Okay. So listen, there is everybody has a favorite type of French fries. Some people like the skins on. Some people like them thick. Some people like steak fries. Some people like thin shoestrings. Nobody likes a long, thin fry, if you know what I'm saying. Am I right, ladies and men? Okay. Okay. But we do like them (laughs) moderate to medium thickness. But again, we like that crunchy outside. It's got to be hard. Exactly. So now. We live in New York City, which is obviously the most fabulous city in the world. Uh, I'm sure. Go ahead. Emails if you have an argument. Go ahead. We have a lawyer contact <laughs> representing us right now. <laughs> so in New York City, go ahead, Zara. What are your top three places? Let's. I know. Go. Um, okay. Well, top okay, three. Okay, fine. <laughs> if I must. Top three favorite fries in New York. Well, I have to say my, my t- number three used to be at the Spotted Pig. They, mm-hmm. But I do not support the Spotted Pig anymore. I'm going to go on record fully to say that. I would never, ever, ever go there again. I don't recommend that anyone does. Do whatever you feel like. This is not a recommendation to go to the Spotted Pig. When April was there before the whole Shabbat Shabizzle, loved them. They were delicious. The Spotted Pig was known for having their very, very thin shoestring fries, and they were And they did it with the rosemary garlic thing. Lemon salt and rosemary. Yeah. And it was... They were fabulous. They were really, really delicious. Now, if you still like the shoestring fries and still want to support good people in the restaurant business, you can always head over to Pearl Oyster Bar, one of your favorite spots. Exactly. I love Pearl Oyster Bar. That's a perfect place to get a nice Caesar salad and a nice side of shoestring fries. Exactly. And then you can take that, you know, when you take all your fingers and you dip them and you take it on and you, oh, just crunching. My second favorite place to get fries is Waffle Fries at Big Nick's on 79th Street. Wow, yeah. Crunchy seasoned waffle fries. Totally frozen crap, trash food, but like delicious. Okay. Um, And my number one favorite place is a no-brainer, obviously, Henry Public. Henry Public. Okay. So in I Brooklyn. My three favorite fries right now in New York City. If you come for a visit, you can go ahead and email us at life's a banquet show at gmail.com and donate $45 while you're doing it for a tip. Uh, <laughs> or $100,000. No, my three favorite fries are Raoul's. Raoul's oh. is a really wonderful old French bistro yeah. from the 1970s. Not that old, but it's in Soho. Uh, and then I would say my number two, tough call, tough call, but I would probably say Baltazar. Has I was going to say Baltazar. They have a really nice classic French fry. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend. And then I guess I'm going to have to say number one right now is Henry Public. The fries at Henry Public are delicious. When they're good, when they're good. When, when they're, they're, good, they're good, they're good. They're usually good when our homie Starshin is working there. Shout out to Starshin Ponchu, who is my favorite person ever and a line cook at Henry Public and used to work for me at Brucey. What up? Wonderful Fam. people making wonderful french fries day after day and they are served in a nice kind of you know metal camping cup and mm. a nice you know you want it wrapped in some parchment. However, uh, my favorite french fries of all time are in Amsterdam. What and makes I them love different? I love the Dutch fries. They're a little bit larger. Uh, but they are double cooked, and they just take them very seriously. Yeah, this is no joke. The, I mean, the Dutch and the Belgium are not. It, it's a, it, again, it's a little bit thicker than a than what we know as a French fry. I like the fries at the Bres- uh, at the Breslin too. No, those are the thrice cooked fries. Those are delicious, and they're a little bit larger. Uh, and I just find them to be a touch on the. They're filled with oil. They're very they're oily. Filled with oil, which yeah. I guess you're not necessarily concerned when you're dipping your french fry in man here yeah oil soaked potato dipped into an oil emulsification next to a lamb burger that's the bun is smothered in butter Mm -hmm. and dripping with mayonnaise but um those are delicious delicious french fries as well 
Now, let's say you just want to go, you know, you want to go nuts and you say, you know what, I, I do want to have a dinner party and I would like to make French fries. Now, hopefully you will have some type of deep fryer because when you're making fries, temperature is the key. Mm-hmm. And when I say that temperature, this is why home cooking, I think, is harder because if you have a restaurant and you and I both had a restaurant with deep fryers, you have this giant vat of oil. And when you throw something in this oil, the temperature drops rapidly. Mm-hmm. If you have a large quantity of oil, AKA commercial deep fryer, your temperature stays, stays more consistent, right? It doesn't yeah. drop as much. So you, that's where the crispness comes from. So at home, when you, you know, if you take your, if you use your thermometer and you have one of those electronic thermometers and you put your cast iron pot on your stove, uh, you just cannot crowd the fryer. That is the number one key. You're better do, off doing stuff in small batches and n- making sure because the temperature is the key. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, you can't, I, this is something I will say, do, you cannot eyeball it. No. Don't. Don't you. <laughs> you can't dip your finger in the oil like, yeah, it feels about, yeah. Oh my God. You know what I heard at one point that there was a, the Hell's Kitchen initiation. One of them was that you would get your face dunked in a fryer. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds... Isn't that awful? Can you imagine yeah. anything worse? No. I also think I remember some kitchen story. If if this is your story and I'm just retelling it wrong, not you, but like one person listening out there, I think I remember a story that a cook told me once of one of their cooks falling in the fryer, like cooking something, uh, cleaning something from above and like falling down into the fryer. But I could be... that could I'm have, sure many frying... It could just be a movie I was watching this weekend. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, we're... <laughs> We're here to hear about your uh, fry, your deep fryer accidents. Yeah, right. Please write us in with any horrific uh, frying related accidents to Life's Banquet Show at gmail.com. And please support Heritage Radio. Um, please listen, subscribe, rate, review, and send us nice postcards if you want to send us any kind of food or beverage. That's right. That and would be fine. The one other tip I'll say is don't drop cold water into your deep fryer oh yes no, no. heavens no it'll explode don't drop your children don't drop your julie jenny one time dropped her phone don't do that yep classic only french fries in the deep fryer please yeah like oh my god i dropped my twinkie oh my gosh it's a sensation whoopsie diddly well all right that being said what else final french fry thoughts here well final french fry thoughts uh when they're good they're good i think that frozen and kind of you know industrial fries can be really delicious and homemade really good fries are also delicious it's one of those foods that i don't have i mean i always support making things and using local stuff and but i do like tater tots and they are mass produced so there i'm i'm confessing also i don't feel good i'm sorry if i was boring on this episode well you don't have to apologize i feel like a soggy french fry a little bit (laughs) do i look like one you know sometimes french fries are soggy and guess what i still eat them (laughs) oh I curl them around and then I I fold them into halves or thirds and then I use it as a wider escape to it so I can scoop up more mayonnaise. I've seen you do that. That's Mm -hmm. a really nice testament to our friendship. Thanks for liking me even though I'm a soggy fry. Dip me in mayo and eat me up. Yeah. Weird. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Until next week, (laughs) thank you again for listening all over the world. Thanks for making us the number one podcast. We really appreciate it. We're super, we're just flush with with niacin pills and, and magic mushrooms. Take that, Mark Marin. Hasta la pasta. Thank you very much. Fabulous week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. 
enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.